Welcome to the Master of None or One podcast, or as we've abbreviated it, Master of Podcast. Did he just say they are the masters of podcasting? Nope, but it sure sounds like it. The naming is intentional. This is a podcast to educate us through people's life experiences. And as we've had these conversations, it has shown us not everything is always as it seems or is perceived. The premise of this podcast was taken from the common phrase, a jack of all trades, but master of none, but better than the master of one. Join us as we talk with different people about their life journey and how they became what they are or may seem to be. Thanks for listening. Some people, when I ask them, are they a master of something, they're afraid to say they're a master of anything because they think we're asking, have they arrived? Yeah. So it's more so, do you feel like you are a specialist in one area or do you feel like you kind of just know how to dabble in a lot of them? I'm, I'm aware of daily. I, I, I do well on a market stall and, mm. you know, I'm probably a master of surviving. Okay. I mean, I'm not a business master. And, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so well, you would you would really deem yourself more of like a jack of all trades of you yeah, just kind of get into I'm, a bunch yeah, of things. Yeah, I am a. Jack you have a of very successful trade. business to not think you do well in business. But the formula that that we set off with just wouldn't work. you know unless you yeah. buy something big. What we would what we set off with just wouldn't work because we, yeah. we were funding this off our own money. Yeah, yeah. So you. you um, you get to the stage where you're growing, yeah. But then the, the the rules in the industry change, so the break even gets longer. The manufacturers okay. then are driving the price up, so okay. the boxes cost more. Yeah. The break even's longer, and you need somebody to put big lumps of money in, and that's where I want what I signed up for. Yeah. So, but I mean, we set this business up to support evangelists. That, that's that's where we came in. What got you into professionally doing what you're doing? So, okay. like, whether it was school to what to what yeah. kind of, I guess, what was that progression? So, did you do university? Yeah. What did so you I study? Did, ele- did electronic engineering. Okay. So I can fix. So is that analog. why you and Rich get along? Yeah. <laughs> so I can fix analog at component level. Oh, okay. I can't switch digital on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you did uni. So, so then, what did you start well, I did, doing? I did a college. So, oh, so college, when okay. I did it, I, I had to work as well. So, okay. I, so I so I worked. Yeah. So I couldn't go to a university. The okay. deal with my parents was they couldn't fund me, but I could live at home for free. Okay. Which at the time was a big deal, you know, because when I when I was at home, you had to get a job and pay away. Yeah. So my mum and dad said, "Look, we can't fund you, but you can live here for free." Okay. Which when I, you know it's really interesting because for me that was like, oh wow thanks, and it's like I can you know and it was a big. Yeah. Big thing. So they let me live at home for free, and then I funded myself through college. Okay. So they used to do these very weak courses, which they called external degrees. Okay. So it was like a university that wanted to get a bit of income. So they'd, they'd say, oh, yeah, you, you just do a course and we'll sign it off. Okay. So I went to Bolton College. Okay. Did this kind of... Uh, so then what did you do to fund yourself through university or through college? So I... I um, so I worked for a GEC, which was a big electronics company, okay. and I was I was developing quartz crystal oscillators, which is I don't even know what that. It exactly. sounds really yeah. cool. Well, they, it, so, so in in radio mics, uh-huh. the original ones, they had a fixed frequency oscillator, which was based on a on a on a resonant crystal. Okay. So. I used to develop these these oscillators, and they were, you know, I mean, they just do it digitally now. Okay. But we used to grow crystals in the in the in the uh, in the factory, 
And then we came. Um, but they, they, how mean, do you grow? Because uh, like yeah, this yeah. is, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, quartz I'm, crystal. I'm, I don't it's, know. How do you grow a crystal? Well, growing quartz crystal in, in itself is a, a science and art. Okay. It's part of the art form. But so they used to grow quartz crystals. But some of these oscillators were were, were going in aircraft. I mean, okay. serious. You know, they were they were going to Marconi Space and Defence. They were going yeah. in missiles. They were going in all sorts of stuff. Okay. So. So I, I worked there, and I got this job where they, they'd let me work Wednesday afternoons and Saturdays. So they give me, they go right. We want to develop this um, this 196 megs sine wave crystal oscillator, and the, the sine wave's got to have this amount of purity. Your job is get it clean. So they, I'd have a basic oscillator design, and then I'd kind of clean this thing up, and so it met spec. So I'd come in on a Wednesday, come in on a Saturday. They pay me money, okay. and then I put I put petrol in my car and go and study electronics yeah okay so then what then transitioned you from that into what was next like then professionally i guess so i did this electronic course mainly so i could build kit and carry on to keep this band on the road that we had in the church were you in the band yeah so what did you do well i I was the sound engineer to start with then i ended up being the guitar player and then and then as bands go, it ended up being the guitar player, okay. the sound engineer, yeah. and the truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> and I did the loadout because the bass player always had to go home. Really. Oh. So in 2018, we put the band back together just to do just to do a one-off. You did a reunion gig. show, a reunion, okay. yeah, with whoever was still alive. How many years later would that have been? Yeah, so this was in 2018. We did this. So about like how many years? So so the, when was like the beginning? So the the so I joined I joined this band in 1972. Okay, and I was the roadie at the time, okay. and, and 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 then then I was the sound engineer, and I built the mixer that like we crafted, used. yeah, like literally it. built it from components, oh. eight channels. Now at the time, a typical a typical mix was like a Wem Audio Master. That were five channels, and all the touring bands were touring Wem Audio Masters. Okay, so I built this eight channel mixer, which was kind of quite ahead of its time, really. Oh. Um, so, so I kind of was working to fund building this mixer for this band that we were in. Okay, what were they called? Movement. Movement. Yeah. So we did the college circuit, and then we did um, prisons and all sorts of stuff like that. Like you so were in prison or played for prisons? Played, played to <laughs> for prisoners. We played Dartmoor. Okay. We were a regular. Okay. Dartmoor prison was a regular gig. Okay. And we. We kind of played it. We did a lot, a lot of our own stuff, a lot yeah. of covers. But I mean, essentially, it was an evangelistic gospel band. We preached the good news and had an appeal one way or another. Yeah. Which in a university was kind of really interesting. But the guy Mike Hook, who who led the band, didn't. He just believed we shouldn't charge because we were preaching the gospel. So and we had a Mercedes truck and we had eleven people and the whole thing. And we funded this from from this business, which became Wigwam. Oh, wow. So, so originally, this this wasn't a business to have a business. It, it was how can we make a load of money to keep this band mm-hmm. on the road? Yeah. So, so we, um, we we did we did that. So then the next progression was I was working at BBC 1978. Had okay. a nice job. And this was when you were doing the vision mixing. Yeah. Yeah. Retirement pension when you're 55. You oh, know, wow. th- um, three and a half days a week. Okay. You know, it was just mm, shoe allowance. Yeah. All that. BBC stuff, uh-huh. and in 1978 we did some work with an evangelist called David Watson okay. from York, and um, David did a week of outreach in Manchester in the Free Trade Hall, 
and we put a PA system together mm. to do that. And then um, after the event, um, we, I got a phone call from a club in Manchester who had the three degrees on. Mm. They were massive at the time. They okay. were doing selling this club out five shows, uh, five shows in the week, and they wouldn't go on tonight if somebody didn't put a PA system in. And this club phoned me up and they wanted to rent just what we owned. Mm. I mean, they gave me a list of stuff and it's what we owned. Yeah. And I said, look, I've got this system, I can put it in. And so I got to the end of the week, they got away with it, made a pile of money and said, look, can we buy this? Yeah. I said, well, it's second hand. If you want to buy it, you'll have to pay me new price because I've got to buy new. So they just name your price, <laughs> which in the, then it, I named my price. And mm. we just got a lot of money for this second hand kit oh, that wow. we put together for an outreach. So really, that was that was our first business transaction. Oh wow! Wow. So we we did the three degrees, and then this club said, "Would I come down and mix some of the artists?" So I mm. said, "Well, when I'm not working, yeah, I'll come down." So I mixed this band called Brother of a Man, who were huge at the time. Okay. They just won the Eurovision Song Contest, and um, I got invited back afterwards. And they said, "Look, will you tour with us?" So so I, I ended up touring. Mm. So I was doing a week in a club. With Brother of a Man, and I had a week with an evangelist, which at the time was David Watson. Oh, wow. So this business literally funded outreach. Mm. And then we used to charge, for the outreach, we used to charge what was available. So we'd go anywhere for whatever they had. Cause yeah. we, so we kind of carried on the principle that we had with the band. Okay. When we were doing when we were doing outreach with David Watson, so we probably did six events a year. Mm. And then and then I got into touring with, with, um, with Middle of the Road Cabaret. Okay. Acts and country acts coming in from the US. Okay. So that's how we ended up with a business yeah. by accident. <laughs> <laughs> and I know like Wigwam is now a part, it was a part of SSE and now it's a part of Solo Tech Solitech. and all of that. Yeah. Um, before when it was just Wigwam, because I know you guys did, you do the Coldplay tour. Were you yeah. doing George Michael? George Michael, Spice Michael, Girls. George died, Spice, every show they've ever done. Yeah. Including the last ones. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then we, we... Are you still doing Spice Girls? <laughs> <laughs> so, what we, we did, we toured musicals for 10 years. Okay. So we had three musicals. So we were doing chess. We were doing Aspects of Love. You were doing chess, right? We were doing... Yeah. 42nd Street, so there was a, a, a company called Apollo Leisure, okay. and we used to do all their work, and then we'd do summer seasons in okay. towns, so like Bournemouth, Torquay, Blackpool, yeah. Scarborough. They'd have like a 15 to a 25-week summer season with some middle-of-the-road act like Cannon and Ball or Freddie Star, then a bunch of variety shows around it. And then we toured them. Yeah. So we, we, we so we, we, we were in touring musicals for ten okay. years, and and everything the spin-offs that, that came with that. Yeah. But the into that came from the work we were doing in clubs from day one. That's okay. the, where the introduction was, and yeah. then it kind of just carried on from there. And then we got into rock and roll, probably early 82 80, ish or something like that. We started okay. touring up and coming rock and roll bands. Then we did um, Chris Rea. Okay. So we were Chris Rea's. Uh, Sound Company of Choice and Chris Hill, who was my business partner, still is. And mm. um, he looked after all the rock and roll stuff, and and I looked after the uh, the Christian work and and okay. the and the musicals and variety shows. So, yeah. So Chris grew the rock and roll side. Okay. While I was doing church stuff. Yeah. To kind of phrase. Is there anything else that you do besides? owning running a business besides production was there any other things that you actually would like 
whether it would be hobbies or different things that you were like, oh, I was really, I'm really into, or I was really into these things. Yeah, I'm still. So I love guitars. Okay. So I, I um, I'm not a great guitar player, but I just love guitars. Just love how they are, how they're made. Yeah. So that interests me. So okay. I spend ages reading about them, and then okay. I'll, you know, buy the odd guitar here and there. Um, so that's a big interest when I'm travelling. If I'm in the States, I go okay. to guitar shops and meet guitar people and talk about machine heads and pickups and all mm. this kind of stuff. So that's an interest. Um, music's an interest. I yeah. like live music. Yeah. Um, I was at a show on um, last weekend. And, um, so I, 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 try and, I try and see as much live music as I can. Uh, my family... Big int- I love spending time with my family, mm. and I've got grandchildren, so I love spending time with them. How many grandchildren? Got three. Okay. So um, one, um, one's in Australia, two are in um, in North Manchester. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of like the family thing. I like doing things when, when we're all together. Um, my eldest son, he tours. My daughter, she tours. Mm. So we kind of, when we do get together, we try and make the best of it, be yeah. together and and, uh, and just just enjoy the time. So families are, I love it. So it's a um, big interest and it's, I find it, you know, uh, great. It's relaxing. It kind of, you've got to put your work aside when, you've, when you're with yeah. grandchildren. You, yeah. You, so it's good for switching off. So that, those are the sort of things... That I do. I like the church community. Yeah. I like being with church folks. Mm. I like being with um, people who are making a difference. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, I guess those are my interests yeah. outside of work, but I, I, I'm working in my mind yeah. a lot of the time. Okay. Because you say your kids also do their own touring. So yeah. is your whole family in entertainment in some form? Um, my, my oldest son is. He's a stage manager. My daughter, Laura, does wardrobe. Andrew, my youngest son, was into sport, so he played football and never was really interested in music. Okay. And um, so he played football, he went to college and studied sport, and yeah. he played for a college in Kansas City for four years and played in Australia for a year. So he's mainly into sport. Okay. And, as, you know, he, he's worked... In the business, but he's, yeah. he's just worked, you know, normal hours and way to get out and train and yeah. play football. Okay. What do you feel like are things you could look back on and say, these are things that helped me grow, helped me excel, um, whether they were the good things or the bad things. So like the learning experiences, but the same on the flip side of that being like, this is the stuff that I would say to people, like, this is what helps grow this is what helps me do this the best that i can um i think relationships with people okay that's been all the good commercial work that we have done has been relational but in truth what i've learned in church is what's helped me grow the business Mm. you know the relationship stuff the community stuff is what's helped me grow the business i the stuff i did touring with evangelists I just did with 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 artists and management and and got to know them, showed some interest and so yeah, so relationships um, with with our clients, with our suppliers. But how do you do that practically? Would you actually like 
work on the relationship or how do you actually foster that? Especially for those that where it may not come naturally, like what would, what would they do? Um, spend time with people. Yeah. I think it, I think it's really important and I know it's not everybody's cup of tea getting to know people, but mm. sometimes I prefer to just kind of go into catering and sit down and do nothing, but I try and make the effort mm. to get to know people, to find out how they tick, what they yeah. do. And I guess ultimately, when I've been working, uh, has always been, because I've come from a, a background of, of um, supporting evangelists, I always think I've got some good news here mm. and I want to share it with people. And I have had this thing, I always feel I want to be the good news, not the bad news. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, so fostering relationships with people is, mm. is something that I felt was really important. Mm. It's what I've learned in church. Yeah. So I've had to work, but I've had to work on it. I mean, yeah. I'm not a natural, you know, going and meeting people. I'm not a party animal. But if I, I have to work on it. And yeah. I spent a lot of my life doing it. So it appears to come naturally, but it hasn't. Yeah. I've, I've just kind of... Um, so... Because it doesn't come naturally, is it just something that you just keep putting yourself in the situation anyway? So yeah. you keep putting yourself in the uncomfortable yeah. situation. Do you ever feel comfortable now doing it? Even after after now been doing it for so long, is there a point where it has become comfortable, or is it still even yeah. something? With some people, yeah, some people. it's become it's become comfortable. Yeah, with other people, I have to work on it. Okay. For me, from what I've learned about what we believe and and what we say in church, I yeah. believe it's important that we are actually really, really interested yeah. in people, yeah. rather than being interested in them because they're providing some income for the business. Yeah. So I, I, I've really been aware that <clears throat> I want to find out about people. Yeah. I keep relationships going. I've still got relationships with business acquaintances, friends that haven't done business with me for 20 years. Mm. And I just think it's important that just because somebody isn't doing business with that we that I keep the relationship going. Yeah. Otherwise, what I believe is not what I'm doing. Yeah. So it, it's kind of become interactive mm. with what I, I say I believe. Yeah. Doing it in practice has, has been it's been tough. Yeah. But I, I work at it, I work at it, and I work at it, and, yeah. and just kind of keep the thing going. Okay. Now, what if it's a relationship you have to have that you just don't enjoy or do well with? How do you make that relationship work? Because it's not like you have an option. Um, I have done those relationships. Yeah. What I'm thinking of, I did till the guy died. Uh-huh. And I just thought, well, he's the only... I might be his only opportunity of hearing some good news. Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. He's a guy, a commercial yeah. artist. And I just... But it was hard work and, yeah. and difficult. But I, I kept it going because I believed that was what I should be doing yeah. based on what I say I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I've, you know, I've kept, these, I've kept these things going because it's like, well, if I, if I don't, I've just I've just been in it for when the work was there. Yeah. And I'm really not. And I mean ultimately, you know, one day I'll have to answer to God and he'll say, What have you done with what I give you? And yeah. Who have you brought with you? Mm. And and that's, you know, something that I carry around all the time. I think, well, am I supposed to be the guy that shares this good news with this person? And mm. I just oh. keep going and going and going. So it's that what it's that what drives me. It's, yeah. it's, it's that good news. Okay. 
you have an appeal? I, no, I think that's very, very noble. A very good way to think about it. It doesn't come that. It doesn't yeah, come. <laughs> sounds, sounds easy, but it, it, no. I know how my. I know what goes on inside my head. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 I, I just try and you know I try I try and live the life that I say I believe, and mm. I've screwed up loads of times, but. Mm. It is what it is, you know. You screw up, you pick yourself up, you get on with it, and you just think, well, one day, you know, I'll have to answer for that one. But yeah. you can't. I just don't believe you can give give up. It's not in the vocabulary of what I, what we believe. And how long has Wigwam been around? So, um, Wigwam was a youth club, yeah, in the church, and uh, Wigwam was started in 1969, and um, the business, in one form or another, was a partnership in 1972. Okay. And we set the business up so we could buy components, so we could build things for the band. So yeah. we set the business up just to support the band and outreach in the church. Yeah. So essentially 48 years this year. Yeah. Of the business side. Yeah. Okay. So in that course, which you've been a part of, yeah. the seasons of change or redefining or, and I'm more so mean like in your life first, Yeah. would be... What have those seasons been? But then how has it related to the business side of things as well then? Yeah. So has there been times in your life where you've been like, I've thought this, I've lived this, I've practiced this, but I've also, I've now realized this wasn't correct. And this is the kind of the course change I want to make and need to make. And then how has that actually affected the business side of things as well? Um, it is all it is all interactive. These things are long term. Mm. These things are one year, three year, five year, ten years. Mm. So, kind of keeping the thing in order, not letting this business take me over, mm. which it has. Mm-hmm. You go right. This has gone too far. I now need to redress this. How can I do it? Yeah. And then it might mean employing somebody. Mm. It might mean going me going training myself. Yeah. Might mean me reading my Bible more. Mm. In what ways have you trained yourself? I've trained myself to do that thing that when we come to faith, we say, oh, well, right, we'll, we'll have a quiet time every day. Mm. I've probably only had a real, real quiet time this past five to ten years mm. because well, I got to the stage where I thought the only way I can solve some of this stuff that's going on mm. with this business that's going on like wildfire that's growing with a family is is to go back to the Bible for mm. myself, mm. and I, I started. Well, I picked up that book called Word for Today, mm-hmm. and I still use it. And to this day, every single day, and I make notes. Mm. So the older I've got, the more I've been here, the more I've really needed to read my Bible and and decide mm. where this is all going, and, and and ultimately where I can find some peace. For the position that we're in, yeah. So I find peace for myself, and then I make business decisions. Hmm. So, but it is it's it's very interactive, um, long term. Come some points where you have to stop. There's this point where you get to a crossroads, and and you, you say you can either go left or you can go right. Hmm. But actually, you can go back, and hmm. that's the tough one where you have to go backwards and, and to the last point where you knew well, that that was right and this has kind of got out of hand. And so where, there's been times way, I've done that. Yeah, which ways have you had to do that? Going back to, I think, when my time management's got out of hand particularly. Mm. So, you know, this whole 
the business, I mean, our office used to be next to where I lived. Oh, okay. And it was just all the time. Yeah. So we, we kind of moved the business out of where we lived. Mm. So I had to work on putting some space between work and and, and, and real life. Yeah. Because it was just blurred. Mm. And, you know, it, it doesn't do your head much good if you haven't got control of your time. Mm. And um, I discovered this thing called time bankruptcy, oh. where you can, you know, people talk about financial bankruptcy, but more people are time bankrupt than, than they are financially bankrupt. And money, you can make more of that, or you can go and borrow some more of that. There's, there's no more seconds and minutes in the day. Mm. So my challenge was to try and just get some of my, my time back. Mm. And I'm, I'm still... One of the things that I, I, why I'm on this planet is is to do the stuff I do. I nearly know that I know that I know. That's why I'm on the planet. But the practicalities of that, the theory is great. The reality is, it, it carries you. It, you get carried away with it. Yeah. Then egos come in. My ego comes in, and you think, "Well, oh, this is good." Mm. So you kind of got to, you've got to go back from that mm. and go right. Like, let's just get back to somewhere. And I, I mean, I'm regularly. Do it even even now, you know. I mean, I could, I could lose myself in in, in work all the time, mm. but I, I purposely make time. If 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 I could have got, I mean, last night was a good example. In, in, I had a, there was a prayer meeting near where I live at twenty past eight. Mm. If I could have got to that prayer meeting for twenty past eight, I would have gone. Mm. But I just didn't. It didn't. Well, in the back of my mind, I'm I'm, I'm trying to get ordinary things, normal yeah. things in, in place. Yeah. Just so I'm just doing normal stuff. Have there been actual seasons that you'd be like, oh, I, so like when this happened, I needed to do this. Or when this happened, I ended up shifting to here. That would be in that course of the 48 years. Because, I mean, obviously it went from, like you said, you've talked about clubs to then musicals to then commercial. Mm-hmm. But then I guess even just the season where you said, okay, Wigwam, has it's because you've obviously you worked with SSE for a while and now it's solo tech. Was there no. ever anybody else besides those two? No, no. We, so we, then... we traded Wigwam as long as we could. Okay. And um, we had two choices: we either grow it and develop it, or we start cutting it back okay. so we could survive with the funding that we had. Yeah. Because we'd always, we'd always. I'm old school, so I'd save up some money and then go and buy something. Mm. But once the market starts driving you, mm. you actually can't make the money fast enough to buy the product that the market needs, and we were getting into that. So we had to do something radical. Yeah, we either had to we either had to grow the business, or we kind of had to just kind of go with the work we've got, which would ultimately mean slowing the business down and and, and um, you know it, it being a smaller business by natural. Yeah. Um, the opposite of growth, natural loss, really. Mm. Um, so, but so we decided that we would go with SSE to try and grow the business. Okay. But ultimately, we knew that SSE would have to do the same. Mm. So, um, just over a, a year ago, we all teamed up with Solatech, okay. which is an international outfit. And for me, it, it was it was an opportunity to 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 make sure everybody's jobs was. We're, in, we're safe. I mean, yeah. we've got we've got over fifty staff at Wigwam oh, in wow. in North Manchester. Yeah, and I'm I'm just glad that people have got a job and they're earning a living. Yeah, in a bigger 
um, company, you, you, you can accommodate people. So yeah. if somebody wants to come off the road, they've toured for a lot, or they get sick or whatever, you can act, there, are, there are jobs that you can move people to. Yeah. If there were just 12 of us, there's not a lot you can do if, yeah. if people... So when we have changed, there's, there's been good reason. And you, you kind of win something, but, you know, some would say, well, it's, it's not like it used to be. Well, yeah. it was never going to be like it used to be, but it isn't like it used to be. Yeah. But we're still employing people so they can pay the mortgage and buy food and put shoes on the kids and mm. all that kind of stuff. But in terms of serving the church, we're still doing that as well. Yeah. At, at a very basic level, as well as a as big as you want to go level. Yeah. Um, so we're still doing church plants and we're still doing crusades in Africa for half a million people. Wow. That's, yeah. that's a large group of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so then who do you feel like in your course has mentored you? I don't know. And I guess my other question would be, do you feel like there's still people now that mentor you or that you kind of glean from that you would lean in on? So initially, a guy called Mike Hook, mm. who was the singer in our band. Okay. When I was 14, I bought a ticket for a show. There were five bands on hmm. in our local civic hall. And I bought a ticket. Well, I bought two tickets. I took a mate from from school. And um, we saw these 500 people in a local civic hall. And um, we saw these five gospel bands. And Mike Hook was the singer in um, one of this movement band. And... We found out at the time that he did free guitar lessons. Mm-hmm. So my mate went round his house. I was paying somebody to teach me guitar, three chords. And Mike Hook was, um, he was doing free guitar lessons. Mm. So my my friend Howard went round, got these free, and he said to me, oh, he said, I'm getting free guitar lessons from, <laughs> from this Baptist minister. <laughs> he said, and not only that, he said, his, his wife makes makes tea and she makes cakes and she said, we get fed as well. I said, it's all fed. <laughs> and Mike was doing that as, 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 as part of his, I guess, part of the outreach of the church. It mm. was, you know, he was just getting to know young people. He was running this, this wigwam coffee bar. Mm. And um, so, uh, you know, I've learned an awful lot from Mike and um, to this day I still spend time with him. And, and mm. we, we, we were out, we went to see a band um, last week and we were talking about, you know... Do we do we function as a double act, or do we function in, as individuals? Mm. And it was an interesting discussion we had. And essentially, Mike Hook and I often function as a double act now. Mm. But he was the he was ultimately my visionary. So he 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 captured the the vision for sharing the good news, and I kind of saw that. So he was the visionary I saw. Mm-hmm. He was the mentor I followed. Yeah. I mean, we've been friends for fifty years. Okay. So, uh, so he he was a mentor and and still is. I mm. spend time with him whenever I can. He's just got some great takes on on real life. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So there was Mike Hook. Um, there was an interesting um, guy called Tony Cockle who he ran a business called Formula Sound. Mm. He used to build PA, and I met him late seventies, early eighties, and he had an engineering take on sound more so than most people at the time mm. and he um, he owned an engraving machine <laughs> and he used to engrave all his metal panels and I saw that I thought we've got to do that mm. at the time we couldn't afford an engraving machine but from that time we paid an engraving company to engrave our panels which 
at the time, just nobody was doing. So I learned quite a lot of uh, engineering stuff, quite a lot of technical stuff. He built the studio in Stockport, Strawberry Studios, which ten, the band 10CC owned. He built their sound system, which was incredible at the time, um, very engineering-based. So he was uh, a good technical mentor. Um, Chris Hill, my business partner, I've learned loads from him. Hmm. What good beer is, what bad beer is. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the good ones? What, oh, Landlord, actually. Timothy Taylor's Landlord is probably the beer okay. of taste. Yeah, and then what, probably what, Black Sheep after that. Black Sheep after black that. Sheep what, after what are the bad ones so we know to stay away from Oh, it? the bad ones. Just kidding. I don't want you, I don't want you held liable. <laughs> Never mind, I went from Oprah. So, um, yeah, so um, Paul Scanlon, been a great mentor. I was oh, in yeah. the church with Paul in, in Bradford. Bradford. Yeah. And I learned lots from Paul. And okay. I went to a seminar he was doing in Manchester with my brother oh, wow. about six months ago. So okay. I still like what Paul teaches. Yeah. Paul's been a good mentor. Okay. Now, do you feel like you're a mentor or there's people that you're speaking into or working with? Um. I kind of, yeah, I don't consider myself to be a mentor, but I'll, again, I'll, almost kind of by default, yeah. I've ended up mentoring people because yeah. um, I, I kind of, um, well, you, you just get friendly with people and say, can you help me with this, can you help mm-hmm. me with that? You know, I want to start a business, when I do And yeah. most of the time I can say, look, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you what not to do, okay. <laughs> how not to do it. Um, so, so how would you not start a business? Mm-hmm. Well, well, now I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, for example, so when we started a business, when we started our business in audio, we owned everything. We owned microphones, mixing yeah. consoles, loudspeakers, whatever. There's come a point now where there's a, there's there's a there's a glut of loudspeaker systems that are generally good or better. Yeah. So. If you were to start a business now, you would be better off with with, a, with nice packages, nice consoles, and a great set of microphones, and then renting the speakers when you need them. Because there's lots out there, whether you, okay. whichever brand you like, generally speaking, there's something out there which is certainly acceptable. Mm. So, whereas when we started, they, they just didn't exist. I mean, yeah. like wedge monitors didn't exist. We developed our own. Uh, Martin Audio had a standard wedge, but other than that, there, there wasn't a lot around. So, mm. a lot of people developed their own product. Because whereas now, there's just a glut of product. Yeah. So if you were starting a business, you would be better off saving your money and not putting it into another line array. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, I've never thought of it. Mm. I always said I would never want to own an LED company. Because the maintenance alone would just do my head in. Yeah. No offense to all LED companies. I'm sure you're having the grand old time. Yeah. Um, so you would, on the audio side, you would tell people to go into like control and packages yeah, and that kind of stuff. Control and packaging, PA. nice things that people yeah. want. But ultimately, yeah. service. Yeah. That's the big thing now that... People yeah. want personalized service. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you can't... like. There was a in in the seventies and eighties from a lot of rental companies. It was like, well, take it or leave it. You know, mm. if, you, if you don't want the boxes, because there was more work than there were boxes. Okay. So the return on investment was just amazing. Yeah. I mean, in in the in the um, late seventies, very early eighties, you could probably break even on just about anything in thirty weeks. 
and the tours were 25 weeks. So mm. if you had two tours on, you, you yeah. pay for any. So you yeah. just said, so you didn't actually have to have much business acumen. Okay. Because as long as you charge the right money. Yeah. Um, so the break-even was good, you could charge, whereas, whereas now the break-even is a lot longer and you've actually got to have some really good business acumen to, yeah. to, to, to survive. And probably owning products is, is not, you know, big product, line array product is not a great place to start Yeah. because the break-even might be three, four, five years yeah. before you make any money. Whereas before you probably didn't have a lot of PA options Whereas I feel like now you have a oh, lot of PA options, tons, tons of options, and the the the, the you know services and, and yeah. value added. And so, what drove that? Did the acquiring axe drive getting the PA, or was it getting the PA and then the axe came to follow the PA that you had to choose from? Was we, it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> Is what I feel like I just asked yeah. you. <laughs> We, it was kind of like chicken, egg, chicken, yeah. egg. It, 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 it was a, a, a bit of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how we yeah. did it. So when I, um, so when we got, when we got the Brotherhood of Mantor, um, we, this would have been 19, um, 1979, 1980-ish. Mm. We used a loudspeaker system that I had or after we'd sold ours to the club, mm. so we had a good loudspeaker system, and then I bought I bought a, um, I bought a really good quality second-hand console, mm. and then we toured it, and then we bought really good quality monitors with the money that we'd made. Yeah. But it was very, you know, you, you could do four weeks in a club and go and buy some monitors. Yeah, it was like, I, I mean, you know, you could do an installation in in, in a in a in a theatre and go and buy a, a Mercedes truck. Yeah. It was it, the margins were uh, were amazing. Because obviously, when I'm talking about mentoring, sorry, I'm jumping back a bit. Yeah. It, it's never something you've intentionally sought out to do. No. Is it something? I don't know, because I think that's probably a normal question for most people. Is like, how do I get mentored? And usually, I always tell people, mm. "Is like, well, usually, it's whenever I've been mentored mm. in quotes, it would be." I ask someone, can I buy you a coffee? <laughs> yeah. And then I just start asking a lot yeah. of questions and they have no clue why I'm there. That's, that's uh, what works with me. Yeah. Um, whereas somebody like Paul Scanlon yeah. has got a formal mentoring course. Yeah. Paul's yeah. doing mentoring online. Yeah. And what he's learned in church, he's mentoring people to use in business. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's taken on the far, you know, it's become, he's got a formal, he's got a mentoring course. That's not something I'd want to do. Yeah. But if somebody wants what's in my head, yeah, yeah. they're welcome to it. Yeah, yeah. If it stops somebody jumping off a cliff, yeah. you know, and then they're the welcome to it. Yeah. And, um, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't consider myself to be kind of a formal mentor, but I'm happy to share what's in my head over a coffee or a beer with anybody. Yeah. What of because obviously the production industry has changed in forty eight years from when you started yeah. to now. Where do you feel like, or do you have a sense of like I could see it changing in this way in the next ten, twenty, thirty years? I don't know because I feel like music and entertainment has changed. Some people would say it's because of how easily accessible it is now that that's why they feel like the music industry's changed. I do feel it kind of like what you said, whereas the business side of production is a bit more difficult because 
everybody has everything, everything's accessible, as well as you would run into, which, I mean, I'm sure you're not unfamiliar with, the amount of people that underbid you just to get business and just how competitive that is because there is so much out there. I don't know. Where do you, do you feel like you see any trends of where it could be going or what it could be looking like in the near future, in the distant future? I think it's just slowly going down that route whereby it's more competitive Mm. and things like, well, say on a festival site, Mm -hmm. a lot of festival promoters, the first thing they book are the book of the toilet blocks Mm. and they'll book the stage Mm. and probably the video screen. (laughs) Then the lights, and then we all fight it out for the PA. <laughs> if you want to do festivals, yeah. So, it, and sadly, audio has, has has got to the bottom of the yeah the the production food chain because mm. you know people think that you know how it looks is more important than how it sounds. Yeah. And um, but nobody ever complains that the lights are green and they're not red, but if they can't hear the words, they do. Mm. But that's become... A, so that, that's a, a slow change that's happened maybe over the past 10 years. I was doing an event, and at the event, I went up to the production manager and I went, someone that doesn't know audio designed this, huh? <laughs> and they went, what do you mean? And I went, well can't even say it looks nice but you just put an led screen in front of a line array and they were like what <laughs> that whole section on that side of the arena and that whole section on that side of the arena are hearing nothing but your line array is hearing everything but your led walls hearing everything mm-hmm. and he was like what do you mean i was like no audio is getting through that led wall i mean i'm glad it's four mil but um you won't be able to hear anything no it'll be fine i'm like no it really won't and I didn't realize the designer was standing right there when I was uh-huh. making the comments. <laughs> he didn't talk to me the rest of that event. Um, but then again, yeah, like literally the entire side sections of this arena couldn't hear anything. And they tried to fill it in with just some speakers on boxes and stuff because they blocked it all. There are some artists who do care about how it sounds, yeah. fortunately. Yeah. You know, there, are, there are a lot of artists who care and they have input to the production. Mm. But if, if it's just um, a show that's been, you know, put together on a spreadsheet, yeah. unless somebody cares, yeah. audio is quite well down the food chain. Yeah. With an artist that cares, they make sure that the audio is right and the audio mm. crew are right. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Because obviously any gig, you, turn, you can turn the LED screen off, you still have a gig. You mm. turn off most of the lights other than front light, let's say, still got a gig yeah. you turn off the audio system you haven't got a gig so yeah. that's your priority yeah. why do you think it's changed to now being at the bottom of the food chain because of because how it looks right. to a lot of creatives right, right. is more important than how it sounds you know it's like the eyes have taken over mm. from the ears yeah i think it's a bit of a you know it's a bit like the advent of social media yeah you know there's a lot of people it's just how it what it looks like mm. you know it looks like you're having a lovely lunch and it looks like we're madly in love but actually behind it all it's just social media and mm. Mm. this look thing over the past 10 years I think has become important in people's lives and I think it, I think it's yeah. part of that how it looks yeah, right. is, is more important than that, than how it sounds yeah, yeah. so I did, I did hear something um, a little while ago a uh, front house engineer was saying he films his gigs 
um, on on Instagram and then listens back to them to make sure they sound good on there yeah. because he gets more jobs if it sounds good on Instagram, which yeah. is mad. Yeah. Like, that's bad. Yeah, literally yeah. he will make sure it sounds good on yeah. stuff like that. I'm just like, Can you see it going back to the other way around at all? Can you see it going, okay, actually we need to make it sound good rather than... Mm. With some artists, yeah. Mm. But th- th- there is, a, there is, you know, so for people who care, they go, oh, we've gone too far here. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> but not the general run of the market. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so because yeah. people get off on. I mean, get off on how it sounds. I mean, another example is ten years ago, if a band were on stage and they and they were playing to tracks, the audience would feel that. The mm. impact's been shortchanged. Yeah. That's fine now. Yeah, nice. And you can also mime, and that's fine. <laughs> as long as the bodies are on the Millie, stage. Millie <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when that was like... Yeah. I, I Do you know what that is? When it no, was, no, no. So Millie Vanilli essentially lip-sang, and it wasn't even his voice, and everybody had a freaking cow. No. And now that's literally how people make money today. Yeah. 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 So I can remember in, in late 60s, early 70s, there, were, there, were, there was a band that had used session musicians rather than themselves. And it was all over the Daily Mirror. It was on the front page. It was a massive book. So as time's gone on, people just want the bodies to be there and it doesn't matter if they're mime and it doesn't matter if there's no band. Yeah. And and it's it's become acceptable. Yeah. I think um, so how it looks has become important. Yeah. I think it will go back to how it sounds for some artists, but the artists, I think, have got to, got to make that point yeah. to their production. Do you think the consumer will ever drive that? Do you think it'll ever get yeah, to a yeah. point where it's like the listener mm-hmm. will get and be like, I just don't even, like, unless it's good, I'd not even... I don't know. I feel like I would feel like the average concert goer has yeah. to even be the one that actually pushes and says, mm-hmm. no, this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. But not to the detriment of it being... Uh, can't hear the PA. Can't, it's like it has nothing to do with being able to hear the PA. Yeah, I don't know. And even to an extent, like headphone companies now, I know they're trying to get. I know they've gone Bluetooth direction, but they're also trying to push for better headphones. Yeah. So there's like Tidal, which is like Hi-Fi mm-hmm. instead of Spotify. Or yeah. MP3, CDs, all yeah. that jazz. So. Because uh, I guess another question I would have for you then, mm-hmm. especially because you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, I feel like I'm old, man. <laughs> like. I literally see music that comes out and I listen to it and I'm like, this is crap. (laughs) And my wife says, you're just acting like an old person. (laughs) I go on the car ride and Callum says, I'm listening to music his dad listens to. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not remotely as old enough to be his father. (laughs) Unless I had some indiscretions as an early high schooler. Um, I feel like music sucks now, but I'm like, is it just because I'm old and I just don't like what people are doing anymore? Because it's at the same time, I will tell you, I didn't like the music in the 90s when I was in the 90s, when I was all of these guys' age. And I go back and listen to it now and I'm like, yeah, I still think it sucks. Like, I don't think it's good. And again, there's like random artists that, sure, I'll show my cards I can fanboy on the latest Kanye album I do wish that a track was longer than two seconds Um, I'm pretty sure that entire album is three minutes long Um, but the quality of it is at least good I do think some of it's weird I think it was you 
you didn't Victoria didn't dig the Chick-fil-A track. It weirded her out. Um, <laughs> but I mean, and I've always loved Coldplay. Shamelessly, I always have. It has nothing to do with the fact that you guys support them. It's just I've always <laughs> has nothing to do with that. I'm happy to be Dan Green's best friend. Um, I don't need any perks. I'm just happy to be his friend, just out of extensia, because I'm sure Chris Martin definitely doesn't want to be my friend. Um, I mean, like I have my people that I still listen to: Coldplay, John Mayer. I do like Bon Iver. Um, I Lumineers. Uh, I mean, like, I have, like, random ones that I will actually be like, oh, I can dig it. But I just, for the most part, most music, I just can't stand it with a passion. Like, I'm just like, this is just rubbish. But, uh, and again, like, I would still default to, if you looked at my playlist, it's still Jimi Hendrix, it's still Led Zeppelin, it's still The Who, it's still, I mean, like, it's still, I mean, Oasis. I did actually like Oasis in the 90s, uh, in the early 2000s, but you've been doing this longer than I have. You've had to listen to this stuff longer than I have. Is there a point where we do just turn off to modern music? Uh, What am I dealing with? Show me the ways and where am I lost, Mick? I don't know how to help myself and I need you to help me. This is a midlife (laughs) Yeah. I literally feel like this is one area where I'm like... Help us, Mick. Well, I've gone back to vinyl. Just to put this in perspective, I've gone back to vinyl. (laughs) I don't know. Like, what am I missing? How I, I, I don't. So, for even for example, uh, my wife. I know part of it is as my personality. I have to emotionally connect with you for me to care, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a sociopath. Is what it boils down to. And so, like, my wife was like, "Oh, isn't this album great?" Don't even remember the artist. Obviously, I've never gone back to listen to it, but I could tell she was really digging it. And so I was like, "Okay, fine." So I literally like Wikipedia this guy read his life story so that I could like emotionally connect to this person. And then it was like, as I was listening to the tracks, I was like, oh yeah, they're fine. I mean, again, it's not like I'm listening to it still, but I don't know. What am I dealing with? When did I, how, how do I fix this? Teach me, Obi-Wan. Well, I fixed it by buying a, buying a record deck and digging out my old albums and buying new ones. And I, I, th- I think it's interesting. I think it's, it's, I think it's 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 always been that way that people like the music of a previous generation yeah. or a previous genre or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've not. I'm just thinking about it as we're we're sat here now. I mean, I don't I don't listen to anything, um, you know, current. Um, <laughs> but I, I I listen to all sorts of strange combinations of. Basically, I think anybody who can play and sing, I'd quite, I'd quite like to listen to them. Mm. But I guess it's the definition of whether they can play and sing is in my own head. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's my definition of people. So, you know, I'll, I'll listen to all, so, all sorts of stuff. Mm. Um, but live, I like, I, like to, I like to hear what's being sung. Yeah. If it's a poet who's singing, I like to hear the words. Yeah. What the story is, yeah. Um, so we, yeah, I'm uh, yeah thinking about it now. Back to vinyl, I think that's your answer. Because mm. yeah. I, I mean, or I guess, CD. Because <laughs> I guess my question is, and again, this is probably just my. I think this is just my perspective. Is like you even watch Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm. I mean, Queen literally worked on albums for how long? Whereas I feel like today's modern era is 
I wrote this song last night and I recorded it this morning and I put it on Spotify tomorrow. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's half baked. It's not even baked. It's still raw. But it's like, is, have we become a society that's so instant gratification of I no longer hone and craft. I just sprinkle out everything that I put out and just see if something sticks. Mm-hmm. So instead of because I mean like Callum is a legitimate photographer. I'm a faux photographer in that I'll take a thousand pictures <laughs> and then show you my one good one. <laughs> Whereas a real photographer you know will sit out there for how long to actually capture the perfect picture I'm the I'll shoot a thousand and show you my one good one and be like see aren't I a good photographer as well Um, I don't have craft I just have luck (laughs) is literally what that boils down to Um, I don't know is that maybe I don't know I guess that's probably been my lens that I've looked at it of maybe if you went back and actually I don't know in the times where you hear about like the Beatles and how long they actually worked on songs and how long they wrote lyrics and like how long it took them to like marinate this stuff before it was ever even released and maybe that was just because that was also the process back then of you you only had a studio for this amount of time Mm -hmm. so you had to go prepared and then you did just Mm kind of like just yeah I don't know Mm -hmm. but just I mean just the basic of learning to play an instrument yeah you know, a violin player will, will practice every day. Yeah. And that practice makes perfect is 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 important to mm. play it to being a good musician with whatever instrument yeah. that you play. Similarly, you get a lot of musicians together honing that chemistry that you get. Mm. And I think that's what interests me about about music is the chemistry between musicians. Mm which you only get when you've been with me, when they've been together and they've done stuff together. So that practice makes perfect as an individual musician and then honing your craft and and getting the chemistry together is what interests me a lot with music and different types of music. But I just love it when people get up and you just know there's something going on between them, some kind of relationship, some kind of friendship, which spills over into the music. Yeah. Um, that translates even into the production side, though. Yeah. Especially for those that do the tour and the, the different things where you do the long hours together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and even this group sitting here, I mean, there's definitely a, another layer of relationship just based off the amount of time that we've put in yeah. together as well as, um, well, as one guy called it, the mash unit type mentality of we may not be in literal battle, um, but I mean, like the stress levels that we would carry with, on top of the hours that we would do together would put you kind of in that mash unit mentality of yeah. like making it work and saving lives and that kind of thing, just in a different way. Do you feel like that also, even that time together in the production side or even in the business side, it kind of can give you that same play forward of a chemistry that then does give it a synergy forward that wouldn't naturally be in play? Oh, yeah. I mean, so David Hopkinson, who works with me, David and I have worked together 45 years. I mean, he, he was a lighting guy in our band, and there's something between us that, you know, sometimes I'd say, if you're on a desert island and you need somebody to put a show together, you'd take David Hopkinson with you because mm. he can do loads of stuff. But he knows how I tick, I know how he ticks. Yeah. But the only way that's worked is because we've just been it, just pushed together. Yeah. for all these years and then other people have 
have kind of joined on the way. I mean, yeah. Chris Hill, my business partner, Chris and I have probably spoke to each other, if not every day, every other day for the past 40 years. Oh. And and you, you you end up with something that's quite, that's quite unique. Yeah. And it's just because you've spent the time yeah. to be with people and you know, like, like this team here. But that's fabulous because you can't buy it, you yeah. can't make it. Yeah. It's a bit like it's a bit like a marriage. People who've been together forty, fifty, sixty years. It's fabulous to yeah. to watch the chemistry, mm. but it's because they put the time in. Mm. And I guess going back to music and bands, the bands that put the time in yeah. is what I guess I like to see. Now maybe today, people aren't that bothered about it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they just you know they they, they just want to see that person on the platform yeah. with with sound playing. Yeah. Maybe that's what they appreciate. Yeah. Whereas I think music that's worth having more often than not is, is where there's been some chemistry with the mm. musicians and mm. they've learned to play their instrument and they've, and they've learned the craft. Mm. Okay, dispel a second perspective or lens that I look at all shows through for me and tell me if I'm wrong because I feel like I probably, well, I know I am, but I also feel like there's some truth to it as well. My comment has always been, if you're good at the craft, music, singing, playing, whatever, the production value is usually pretty low because your focus is the music. If you're more so a performer, i.e. you may not be the best vocalist or musician, but somehow you have an act, which is possible, that's when the show becomes an experience. Mm. Lots of special effects, lots of LED, lots of scenic, lots of wow. To me, as a music connoisseur, distracts from the show. Like, I would want to... I mean, for example, they went and saw John Mayer here at the O2. Literally what I was just thinking and they were that. like... The debrief was, really wasn't that much production stuff. And I was like, well, yeah, because John Mayer is a freaking musical genius. Yeah. Like, the guy can play anything in his sleep and like you're there to listen to Mm. his music you're not there to be wowed by an experience the experience is the music Mm. yeah whereas i feel like there's other artists where it's like wow it's so performance epic blah 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 and i'm like yeah because they have nothing musically to offer you so instead they have to offer you a good time by a wow (laughs) because their music or their passion behind what they're singing about isn't going to wow you off base I, I don't know I like the, the John Meyer yeah experience the show I saw last week a guy called Mike Farris is a Nashville singer-songwriter mm. he had a UK pickup band yeah but it was just incredible music but very entertaining because yeah. the band had to watch him all the time mm. And just to just to kind of help him out, he was yeah. also changing the key of stuff because he was he was playing with a capo on, and he you know it, and he had this incredible dynamic range in his voice. So mm-hmm. you know if, mm-hmm. if if he was in B rather than yeah. B flat, he was fine. Mm-hmm. But the the and the band was shouting keys across. But the experience was incredible. Mm-hmm. I loved it, and they were absolutely on it, yeah. and it was just great watching it, yeah. and just. Um, the music was good. He could play and sing. Everybody could play and sing, 
But the chemistry of watching him, I mean, you couldn't see him half the time. And the, the lighting was, there was no screens. The lights were now you see me, now you don't. If you walked across the stage, you went into the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it didn't matter. Yeah. And everybody there just lapped it up. Mm. And he, he, he did both half, there was no support. And he, he just entertained the audience and, and, and gave them more than they paid for. Yeah. And that was a musical experience. Mm. Um, and we didn't need we didn't need the lights. We didn't need any video screens. Mm. You could you could hear what the guy was singing, yeah. and he was really entertaining between songs. There were stories of how he wrote the song and where he wrote the song, and it was just really good. Yeah. So for me, uh, I enjoy you know, musicians, some chemistry, and yeah, just the the, the enjoyment. Yeah. Whereas. I, an audience, a younger audience today, gets off on the wow factor, yeah. on the screens, on the lights, yeah. on the smoke, on the fireworks, mm. on the whatever. Mm. So I guess it's 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 tipped the whole thing up, upside down. But that's popular. Yeah. An audience today, mm. you know, there's a lot of people want that. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's it's. Probably not a right and wrong, it's just a difference of, of what people want to pay the money yeah. to see. Another question I would have for shows, I don't remember who the person was. I would credit it to Paul McCartney, but I'm pretty sure I'm wrong, so someone had to fact check it, because it could also be Steve Martin or someone as a comedian. Mm. But essentially it's always that everybody wants what they don't have, which I usually talk about like people that tour want to be home, whereas the people that have like a home job want to go on the road. Yeah. So that's just like the contentment thing of you want what you don't have but then also in that as an artist or even as an audience member which one do you feel is more impactful being in a small club versus being in a stadium so like for example whoever the artist was that i heard in the interview they were saying i was always thinking okay how can i get from club to theater how can i get from theater to arena how can i get from arena to stadium and then as soon as i did a stadium i was Mm -hmm. like man i hate this because I can't connect with anybody now. There's too many people. I would rather be back in the club um, to where I can actually like connect with the actual audience that I'm a part of. Um, I guess that would be my question of which is, you know, which is better, a large amount of people in a stadium at one time, you know, the 100,000 show, or doing a whole bunch of... Because I feel like someone recently just did like a month-long series of shows at the Palladium even it was like some musical artist like Madonna or something yeah, like that yeah Madonna and yeah. Bruce Springsteen Bruce Springsteen just did a, a guitar vocal thing on Broadway yeah so like it, it's more of like whereas she's just going to do a bunch of shows in a row for because you'll probably hit the same amount of people mm. it's just that you're doing it to where you can connect more because it's fewer people mm. I don't know where is there a is there an ideal sweet spot in the show whether as a performer or even as an audience goer of, I don't know, a size that fits better to connect better. You know what I mean? I, I think a media, a, a theatre, yeah. you know, probably Hammersmith Odeon, Apollo, mm. whatever it's called mm. these days, is a great place to see a show. It's mm. mm. um, so like a 3,000 seat. Yeah. Is that 3,000 or 4,000 Hammersmith Apollo? It's somewhere in there. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's big. It's one of the biggest theaters yeah. in the UK. But once you get into arenas, it's kind of that's where you need the spectacular because right. most people yeah. can't see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 
just personal, but I just I don't like stadium shows and I don't really like arena shows. I like to go and see a show in a theatre or a club somewhere where you... But that's because I like watching the chemistry between the musicians. So as much as I like the music, I like like enjoying how they're making the music and how they're Mm. relating together and all all that bit. So for me, but I I know a lot of people just love stadia and and, and they love arenas. Yeah. Um, That's not my preference. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do think it also kind of comes down to the artist, I mm. think, to an extent. Like I saw a band, uh, uh, Alexandra Palace, mm. and they were incredible, and then they kept, went to O2 like two years later. I saw them, I was pretty disappointed. Mm. It, was yeah. like, it was a drummer, drummer and guitarist, and I was just disappointed. I was mm. like, this doesn't work yet. Mm. Now I've seen like, performance artists kind of going back to what you guys were saying about the whole performance side of things, and that at the O2 is incredible, but mm. then... Imagine that in a club would probably would be pretty rubbish. Like yeah. Beyonce in a club would be that good anymore. <laughs> Whereas in a in a stadium where she can do literally whatever she wants, I think yeah. would be something spectacular. Yeah, I think I know why God put me on the planet. Yeah, it's to do um, some of the things I do. I've screwed a lot of them up over the years, but. I'm still here doing it I'm, until, you know, my experiences, I've, ne- I've, I've never heard a voice in my ear mm. saying, do this, do that. You know, that's not how God has spoken to me. It's always been a walk of faith. Mm. And then you look back and you think, actually, that was good, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so that's what keeps me going. It's It's a phone call from somebody that says, we did such and such and, you know, 500 people's lives were changed and mm. somebody you mean they, they'll say oh I, I came to faith and at a Billy Graham event in yeah. 1984 and now I'm leading a church and mm. and, it, and it's the ongoing that it's just all joined up yeah. so what keeps me going is the joined up thinking mm. and my joined up thinking just goes back and back and back and back yeah. and the more joined up thinking you get the, the more you just think this can only be God. Yeah. <laughs> this just doesn't go... So my joined-up thinking goes back to when I came to faith when I was 14. Wow. It's just fascinating the, the stuff yeah. that's happened and the chicken, the egg, the chicken, the egg, yeah. the chicken, the egg, in lots of areas. But that's what that's what keeps me going. I mean, that you know, I have no intention to retire. I, I will just carry on going until I fall over and die or whatever mm. because... That's you know, I, quite a lot of the time. The majority of the time, I enjoy what I'm doing more than I don't. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I rate. I kind of give my days a rating, and I give my weeks a rating. And you know, if I have a bad week, I start considering what I'm doing. If I have two bad weeks, I do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and, I, and that's how I've been for years and years. Yeah. It, it's part of the structure of of surviving, of yeah. keeping me head together. Yeah. You know, I mean, so what, what a weird way to live your life. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I live my life. Yeah. It's the only way I can do some of the stuff I do. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be swapping and changing all the time. Mm, yeah. So to keep some consistency with, with my life and where I'm going, I rate my days and I give them a number. And some days I give the morning a number and the afternoon a number. And, 
you know, I mean, it, you know, it, my diary looks like the diary of an upcase, but that's how it is, you know. <laughs> if I get to two weeks and, and it's still bad, then I think, oh, okay, what are we going to do about this? Because yeah. with the amount of stuff that goes on and, you, you, you know, you, you, you can easily burn your mind out. When you've gotten to those two weeks across the scope of your life, have you found it to be more so something you've had a fix in you internally or something you've had a fix externally? Which one do you feel like has been more? Probably more me I've had to fix. Yeah. You know, I've got too much going on in my head. I've got too many ideas. Yeah. And it's like, which are the good ideas, which are the bad ideas? Yeah. And when, when we, I guess going back to the beginning, when we started this business, there was no blueprint. Yeah. Nobody had done it. Yeah. You know, um, you know, DMB didn't exist. Yeah. L acoustics didn't exist. You know, most things didn't exist. Are you yeah. writing these down for sponsors for this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We will look for funding. <laughs> we kind of had to. Inv- I mean, we we in, we had to invent reliability. Yeah. I mean, part of the skill of touring was whether you could fix a mixing console every day because every day something went wrong with them. Every day an amplifier failed. Yeah. So part of the skill set was. How, how how you could fix things. So we 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 put people on the road. There was just two people yeah. touring a system, and you had to put it in, take it out, mix it, and fix it. Yeah, and then go on to the next and drive the truck. So you know. The, I know a guy on the Rolling Stones crew for Claire Brothers that that's literally his job because they still use analog yeah. desks. Is wow. he's the monitor guy, and yeah. he literally because it's analog. <laughs> comes off the desk, off the truck, he fixes it, they use it, goes back on the truck, comes off, he fixes it, they use it still. <laughs> like, that's still his trade. Um, not to talk about a competitor. No. <laughs> well, they Apologies. Are, well, they are They're not sponsors. <laughs> we do like Claire Brothers. <laughs> so, has there been points where you almost quit? Almost. Yeah. I've what kept quit. you to not? I've never quit, but I've, uh, I've got to the stage... Yeah. Over the just like, over done. the years, yeah. where I've had to do really, really radical stuff, yeah. which we could do a whole, whole, <laughs> whole lifetime about. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've never quit. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, um, but I've, yeah, I've, I've been at that point where I've had to do something about it mm. and um, change stuff. You know, and I think if you, it's kind of like organised quitted. It's kind of like I'm not gonna. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going home and taking my ball. I've had enough. It's kind of like controlled quitting. It's yeah. like right. I need to change something here. So, what's the control process to change this? Mm. So it's not kind of running away quitting. Yeah. So mm. I've probably done control quitting, but it's when you've had to change. You've got to do something about it. Yeah. But to try and control it as, as, as yeah, best as possible. Yeah. Okay. Any questions you guys have that you want to ask Mick while he's here? Uh, well, I know you said you play guitar and yeah. stuff, but is that kind of a thing that you do? Yeah, what do you do to unwind, I guess, get away from it all, from the stresses of life? Turn my phone off. Yeah. Uh, but that's not... A, I mean, that, see, that, the, the, yeah, that's not a problem. That's, but we've got enough people at, in Wigwam now that... I mean, my phone used to ring all the time, mm. day and night. and But so... Just getting away, just you know, just coming here is is yeah. is, mm. is good therapy for me. Mm. Um, going to church on a Sunday yeah. is good therapy for me, and and I go somewhere to say my prayers, read my Bible, 
see what God has to say. Dead basic stuff. Yeah. Really basic stuff. You know, I mean, I don't need a band. I mean, I can, you know, somebody singing some old hymns a cappella if the words are good, I go, mm, yeah, I could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how I unwind. I play a bit, not a lot, um, but I just kind of get out, get out of the get out of the office, mm-hmm. um, shut my computer, do, do different things, mm-hmm. but I, it's... It's controlled, yeah. you know. I kind of have to control, you know, the um, the stressful one of a bad word. You know, you've just got to do something about it. If you do get that way, you've got to figure out what you can do. And if you can't do it yourself, you need to get someone to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Do you ever, when you started out doing all of this, obviously it was all kind of new and fresh and exciting. But as you've gone on, do you ever kind of wish you had done something else? seen something else that interested you and been like, hmm, that could have been interesting. Not necessarily in production, but... Do you know what? No. Ah. I, I've never... No. I've got... I don't have any, re, don't have any regrets. Um, I wish I'd have dealt with myself earlier than I did. I wish I'd have dealt with situations earlier than I did. But I don't have any regrets about, about life. I mean, everybody, you know... Over a lot of years, there's lots of things you could do different. But yeah, no, I just, I just probably I just wish I'd have learned to deal with myself and and life and real things sooner. Mm-hmm. But that's life, isn't it? You, you you learn, and then you get to a stage where you think, oh, I've learned this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you knew everything at the beginning, then mm-hmm. life would be a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any advice on figuring out what's worth letting go versus what's worth? taken care of sooner you know what I mean because like on the one hand we say like not everything should be a battle you know like mm. pick your battles yeah including with yourself but like I don't know is there a spectrum where you can even say like oh, on this I wish on these kinds of things deal with those right away but on these kinds of things yeah let them let them play out give yourself you know give yourself some time I don't know is there a a practical way of actually helping someone with that I think people situations need dealing with quicker than things situations things can come at people can um, I don't know, people can easily get damaged if you know I mean I've learned to deal with myself over a, over a lot of years and you know I've, I've accepted bad decisions that I've made and it's like get over yourself I mean I once heard Joyce Meyer preach about getting over yourself it was just brilliant. Mm. You know, I thought, this is it. Half the time, we just need to get over ourselves, you know. And uh, and she started off by, by by saying, you know, one of the biggest challenges in my life is getting over myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joyce, get over yourself. And that's how she set off, it was like. And so, um, yeah, I think dealing with people, I think, you know, more often than not, you need to, you need to act quicker than dealing with things because things can I mean that, mm. that that'll sit there you know forever and it ain't gonna run off or mm. and nothing's gonna change sometime with people mm. um, so some of the most honest people I, I know are uh, rock and roll touring engineers they'll they'll tell you the truth in no uncertain terms because there's a show at 7.30 so we've got to get all this difference out of the way because at 7.30 that show goes up and we're starting yeah. so I think honesty with people and dealing with people today if you can mm. is one of the things mm. that I try and deal and if I can't deal with people 
on situations today. Sometimes you may have to think and let people have a bit of space, but yeah. deal with it sooner rather than later. Mm. Okay. Oh. I have a quick question about... Um, I saw an old friend who I haven't seen probably for about five years. I was like, oh, how are you doing? He was like, oh, yeah, just poodling along. And I hated that phrase because it's just like, he just kind of, yeah. like, I'm sure if you went, oh, how was 2019? Oh, yeah, 2020 is looking the same, nothing different. How have you stopped yourself from living each year as the same year, kind of like just going through the motions kind of thing? How have you always progressed um, to get them to where you are? I'm, just, I'm glad, I'm really glad to be alive. I do wake up most mornings thinking, another day, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I, I've, I've just, I just enjoy life. And there's just so much to do, you know. So to just, well, poodling along and boring should be taken out of the vocabulary. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. Just, yeah. there's too much to be doing. I mean, you know... To be bored, it's like, well, you know, if, if you even approach that, it's like, well, I'll read a book or yeah, I'll yeah. do a quiz or yeah. I'll go for a walk. or yeah. I've, I mean, I've just recently started swimming. I'm thinking, well, yeah. you know, I can't run. I've got a knee injury. I can't run. I can't do a lot of stuff. That I thought, oh, I could do swimming. So I've started... But, there's just there's just so much to do, there's just so much to do and mm. I just think it's a shame to have to have a, a life of 75 85 years mm. and poodle along yeah, when there's yeah. just so much yeah so much yeah. opportunity yeah you know even the life of the church you know forget careers around like that but there's just such opportunity in the life of the church to make a difference mm. You know, it, it, it's just a shame to have a life and not make a difference. Or in your family, you can make a difference, you know, that you need to be in church with a family. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you can make such a difference spending time with somebody, your, mm. your wife, your grandfather, your children, your whatever. Yeah. Um, I, just, I think time is too valuable to, mm. to, 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 to waste it. I mean, yeah. it's a big deal with me, time. Yeah. time you know, it's a bigger deal than, than, than money. Yeah. It's a similar kind of flowing question, but how have you stayed so... I know there's probably been negative points along the journey, but how have you managed to stay so positive just throughout that? And I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a broad question, but how have you just managed to keep yourself just positive or... Yeah. In in, in my daily, weekly measure, I, I, I measure my week based on if I'm losing my peace. Mm. You know, I mean, um, there's a... As Jesus said, you know, in your life you'll have trouble, but I'll I'll, I'll brought peace, mm. and I think that's really important. That, yeah. that you know, it's, it's not about being happy. I mean, that's that's I don't know. Happy is not tangible for me, mm. but yeah. knowing the peace of God inside you that passes all understanding. If you start losing that, then you need mm. to figure out how you get that back. Mm. And, and you know, and it's kind of yeah. I guess it's it's getting back for me. It's just getting back to that where you. You, you can make a difference, and, and I think you've you've got to, you've got to train yourself to get back to to, to keeping your peace. Because mm. I think once you if you're walking in faith, once you lose that peace because of whatever, it's, it makes life mm. it makes life difficult. Yeah, yeah. My question would be like, so we're going to be going for forty eight years now, yeah. and it used like you've never quit. No. But you said that it came in, like, you started by accident, essentially. Yeah. So is, was there a point that you kind of went, actually, no, this is what I'm doing? And kind of, like, that came, kind of, like, drove you to keep going? Or because it kind of, like, 
was an accident, it kind of kept going and it was like, oh, it just followed on to wanting to the next. Or was there like a moment that you went, ah, oh, this is what I'm doing and chart forward with it? Yeah. Um, so so we were, we were doing this PA stuff to keep the band on the road. I had this job at the BBC. And then once we got this commercial work and we were asked to tour with evangelists, we had to make a decision. Either I went on the road or somebody else went on the road. And I'd, I'd, I'd got to the stage at the BBC where if I'd have stayed, I'd have had to have changed career. So I, I got to that a kind of career move, really. So I got to the stage in the BBC where I didn't want to do video, I didn't like it, didn't do anything for me. And then we got to the stage where we were being offered commercial work. So, 78, so the, the, the guys who, who I was relating to in the church at the time, I got a look at I'm thinking of giving this job up at the BBC, and, and they were like, jobs at the BBC were like hen's teeth then. I mean, you just couldn't get them. I had one. And they're going, you're joking. Really? Uh, I'd be careful. So I reconsidered. Then about six months later, when, when, the, when the work came up with David Watson and the work came up, with brother or man, I said to the same guys again, do you know what, this ain't going away. I need to consider, I'm not, I'm not really enjoying the BBC works, a nice earner, it's good money, but that's all it is. But this other stuff, and we all agreed, and that was, that was early 1979, well, I'll tell you when it was, May 1979. And so I went in and resigned, and they said, well, when do you want to finish? I said, well, well, I know I have to give a month's notice. But I don't want to waste your time because of the schedules. You know, and, and, I, and I finished the next day. <laughs> so literally. So we made the decision. I went in, finished. And, 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 but from then on, I've never been out. I've never had, not had a day's work. But the, 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 there was a point where I knew, but I, kind of, I, I considered the decision with, with, with a couple of guys in the church who he was walking the journey with. And uh, we just thought, you know what, if we're going to do it, now's the time. Mm. So I went full-time, and at the time I lived in community with a lot of other Christians, so we, I didn't need a salary. So for two years I was supported by the community that, that I lived in. Which, so it was just a unique situation. So we made the decision together and, 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 and ran with it and, yeah, <laughs> and, just, and just kept going. Thanks for joining us in this conversation. These conversations are in the upwards of two hours and have been cut down so that you don't fall asleep, as there are meditation apps that can help you with that. If you know a master in their field of expertise that you think we should talk with, feel free to send us your suggestions at contact at southsidefilms.com.